Well, hello and welcome back again, hopefully again, to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. Uh, here again are your hosts, myself, Andy. I'll be covering Night Mask number six and... I'm Steven with Cyforce number six. Good old Cyforce. Uh, so the New Universe, of course, was a self-contained universe and imprint from Marvel Comics started by Jim Shooter in 1986 with the launch of eight new ongoing titles to celebrate Marvel's 25th anniversary of superheroes. Uh, it was intended to be more realistic, without magic, aliens, besides justice, or secret histories. And we ourselves are two chemists and comic book readers who are going through the new universe two books a week in the order they were released, uh, describing them and commenting as we go, and we'll also give the advertising copy from Marvel Age magazine. Uh, that's all we had at the time. Uh, of course, we have our website, kickersinc.com. Go check it out. Uh, there is a sweepstakes currently going on. Uh, so summer 2022, win yourself some free comics, answer some questions. Uh, there's a cool uh, Facebook fan page if you want to get in on some extra discussion and see some new universe stuff. Uh, and also we have Twitter at Kickers Inc. For the tweeting. Also, All I'm right. like a 40-year-old who doesn't use Twitter. <laughs> yeah, the Facebook uh, fan page was pretty active this week. I popped in uh, today and saw a number of uh, things from uh, people's convention grabs, uh, some, some mock-ups of a collection of the new universe, like Hardbound. Yeah, people showing off their original art from the comic and stuff too, which is always fun to see. Great stuff. Yeah. I don't own any of it. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're a poor couple of guys comparatively, I guess. I do have comic books. <laughs> All right, so so as I said, so this week I'll be covering Night Mask, and in this issue, our or you know Night Mask in general is Keith Remsen. He's a counselor aided by his sister Teddy, uh, which is not too mad at him. Uh, and he uses his newfound ability to enter people's dreams to help them recover from trauma and mental illness. Uh, and actually this week in number six, why would anyone want to kidnap a crippled teenage girl? Night Mask wants to know too. That girl is his sister, of course. Uh, his quest to discover the truth leads, leads him to a nightmare from which he may never escape. Ooh. I, I, I would like to think Night Mask would help out if there was another teenage girl who needed help, but you know. Yeah, it's situational, right? You, know, you gotta <laughs> go to the doctor, Ballard, and you know, check in at the Dream Institute. And... First, you go to the regular hospital where they tell you, you know, they tell you that you're crazy, and then you go to the Ballard Institute where they tell you you're crazy, and then they. <laughs> this week, I'll be covering Cyforce, and Cyforce is a group of teenage paranormal psychics on the run from a government that seeks to control them. It's mostly our government, although the Russian governments are also involved. Yeah, the Russians have left them alone for a little while. They can meld their abilities into a powerful psionic being called the Psyhawk that controls and possibly ru ruins their lives. Anyway, this week, Cyforce number six. The weakest member of Cyforce is the only one strong enough to prevent the group from becoming a bunch of Psy corpses. The surprising reason why is found in Ghost of a Chance. 
They're, they're calling out my man Tyrone here. Ouch. <laughs> Why is he the weakest? <laughs> Weak. Weak. Like if you had him like arm wrestle Kathy, come on, man. Right. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and there's some fun new ads. Uh, the Marvel superheroes TSR game. So we might spend a little time talking about that. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, there are again no um, male uh, columns in either of those two issues. So yeah, sorry, male fans. You can always send us mail, and then we can talk about it. We would be happy to read some viewer ma- listener mail. <laughs> Maybe one day we will get it. Podcast 85, episode 85. We got our first reader mail. Or Aren't mail? you guys <laughs> done yet? <laughs> How can you manage to keep podcasting about all of these issues? We got podcasting stamina, we do. <laughs> so far, so good. Yes. I think it's a lot of fun. That helps, yeah. Yeah. All right. So Nightmask number six. Uh, so cover date here is April 1987. If you were to go back in time to try and find a copy, December 23rd, 1986. So in the in the real world and then probably in our new universe, it's December around Christmas time in 1986. So you'll see this uh, next issue matches up well with that. Cyforce does. Um, our Nightmask cover has Keith in his night mask outfit, fleeing from some sort of giant purple monster who also seems to be holding his sister in its clutches, kind of King Kong style. Um, as our podcast co-host Steven likes to point out, the new universe trade dress over the top is yellow. I don't think that means very, anything. <laughs> very significant. Yeah. Let me let me put that down in my journal. <laughs> Do some like numerology with the so yellow is the, clearly associated with the number three. <laughs> Six is three times two. It'll make sense when this we get to episode uh, issue is twice 12. As, twice as good. <laughs> Falling apart already. Uh, yeah, nice cover, but it doesn't appear to be credited. No, I didn't see it either. Um. The, this opening splash page for Nightmare 6 is possibly like the best thing about this comic, which doesn't mean that the comic's bad. It's just it's just that good. <laughs> I, I need to I need to take a picture of this and put it on the website just so people can see. Um, so Roy and Dan Thomas, D-A-N-N, as in um, Danette, Roy Thomas's wife, uh, wrote yeah. this one. Yeah, they'd written co-written stuff around this time. I remember there was a Johnny Thunder that uh, over at DC that was a mini series, and uh, so another female lead um, detective, you... sort of a DC version of um, answer to Dakota North, perhaps. Mm. Did you pull that from memory, or did you look that up? I remembered that because she they they actually didn't do too many things together. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I wonder if you just needed some help <laughs> or like, it's just like a fun way, fun chance for them to collaborate in this case. So, yeah. I, I mean, if you're both interested in it, there was a number, a couple of husband and wife teams I've seen do pretty good stuff. So, yeah. So art is Javier Salteras, 
pencils and Jose Marzan inker. Um, so we've seen that both of those names before, I think, in other books. Um, but again, I think so, Javier may have uh, posted something on the Facebook page recently. Oh, uh, okay. I, uh, I, I thought I had that name popped up, but you might be right. I need to pay better attention, I guess. I don't need. Okay, I you're the one who who actually. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so uh, uh, our splash page is. It looks like sort of a jungle oasis. There's a waterfall and some trees in the background, like palm trees. And Night Mask is, you know, in the water, uh, surrounded by cute Disney-looking animals. There's like birds with faces and fish with cute eyes uh, splashing in the water. Uh, so we're in uh, Keith's dream. Um, and he introduces it. Uh, you know, now... Now, this is what I call a dream. Uh, remember, <laughs> Keith Remsen is 18, and he says, I should, engineered it myself. So whether this is a, his, a fancy power of his, he can kind of make his own dream world. It makes sense. Uh, hey, a guy's got to unwind after making the world safe for slumber parties, right? So how come Lita Mercado's refereeing my free time frolic with several popcorn fantasy figures? So yeah, she's standing up on the rocks like a, lifeguard kind of but in a bathing suit uh, yeah, she doesn't she doesn't look out of place at all honestly. doesn't look out of place as uh keith is being accosted by four women uh also in bathing suits uh trying to get his night mask outfit off uh so he can you know join them in the pool <laughs> uh and so yeah lita's like playing ref and treat him gentle girls is doing 10 laps for me at the clinic tomorrow so can't get lita's bossy uh <laughs> physical therapy uh out of his mind there i guess uh but the girls look like they're getting ready to either strip him or dunk him in the pool um he names them uh we get a, a sybil a christy and a brook and then later a crystal um best Did you I, get him i think so okay crystal That's... was the toughest though crystal yeah i had to look up crystal as well all right so sybil shepherd Right, she was in Taxi Driver, like 1980. At this point, Moonlighting's her big uh, Moonlight. Okay. Thing um, uh, he mentions Blue Lagoon, so Brooke Shields for Brooke is pretty obvious there. Uh, Christy Brinkley, presumably, would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah, and then for Crystal, which is K R Y S T L E, if you search that now, like a very modern Indian actress comes up, but. Best I could figure was Crystal Carrington from Dynasty, which is a character, not an yeah, actress. Yeah, it's a little off, but it's, yeah, Linda Evans as this character. So. Okay, so you got that too? Yeah, I guess I, it would make sense. Uh, Linda's maybe just too generic, you know, you'd be like, who? Yeah, that's true. I, I see her as, you know, you can kind of tell who they are. I, I mean, one has sort of Sybil Shepherd hair. As far as things go, otherwise it's a little hard to tell. Yeah, yeah, some it. Yeah, you can you can reasonably assign them and and correspond. By the way, I I kind of wish uh, Keith did the thing that Justice does, where he works his his logo into his like opening narration. Each uh. time. It would work well for him. Here I am in another dream. I'm Night Mask. You know, <laughs> he doesn't. So. He does not. 
But anyway, it, it's, a, it's a great uh, image. And so the title of this story is Sender, like Return to Sender. Um, but yeah, so anyway, um, our 18-year-old has come up with his own dream world. I have to say, I don't think I've ever dreamt about a real celebrity. Like, I don't, I don't think that's ever happened. Um, I never, I don't know that I actively tried though either. But um, yeah, so I'm Keith, pulled... Keith is doing something like lucid dreaming, where he can like program himself, or yeah. it's just in, yeah. if he can give himself the night mask costume and then kind of control himself in a dream, then it makes sense he can kind of control his dream world, whereas the rest of us can't. Yeah. <laughs> but he can sort of control it. So as we find. Um, you know, the girls basically just dunk him in the water. Uh, Crystal, wait, I got a better. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so they're splashing him in the water. Uh, he finds that he can't actually remove his night mask outfit. You know, in like he's too hardwired to keep it on. You know, this is sort of his uh, identity protection in the dream world to create the outfit in the first place and the and the night mask thing. Uh, of course, it does still have his characteristic moon shaped forehead scar um which is really obvious uh because he has that in real life too um so they get kind of wary you know uh, lita's you know something's coming is is the girls turn into mermaids and flee so even more (laughs) disney-ish um and then uh a, a terrifying lady tank leg monster basically busts in on them so uh, definitely looks like something out of like a heavy metal cartoon. You know, it's got spike tank treads, you know, big giant, you know, chest armor, spiky gauntlets, you know, uh, big black hair kind of flying behind. <laughs> so basically just starts tearing through the forest directly at Night Mask. Everybody else flees and disappears. So this is where you've been hiding from me, Night Mask. <laughs> and he says, of course, at least it used to be. <laughs> Um, so it says legs or no legs. I'm still faster than you. Uh, you know, for God's sake, no sympathy. Is that what you want? So it's starting to sound a little familiar. Uh, this thing is quite angry at him. Um, and before he gets run over, um, you know, his legs kind of weaken and before he gets crushed and killed by the thing, he kind of startles awake. So, um, I guess we've got a little built-in protection from you die in the dream world, you die in real life. You know, you can still kind of like, ah, and, and wake up, thankfully for Night Mask. You, you can, yeah. It, does that count if it's someone else's dream only or your own dream is, is safe still? I don't know. Uh, the rules are a little wishy, but uh, they talk about it a little bit again later in the comic as well. But um, so, yeah, he says, you know, that, did that dream ever take a wrong turn? Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets the Blue Lagoon. So, you know, again, get that Blue Lagoon sort of reference there. Um, and, you know, he's lucky, worried about having woken everybody up. And he kind of thinks about it. And the connection with his sister there is pretty strong as, you know, a woman who's sort of angry with him and has, uh, you know, no legs or, you know, leg problems. Uh, so he suspects Teddy was in breaking into his dream and terrorizing him. And that's sort of confirmed when he finds her sleeping um, and kind of mumbling in her sleep. 
but we, we leave that discussion for later um, because there's a inter uh, clinic football game to go to. So a touch football game. Do we cut to a touch football game between the Ballad Clinic, which I think is a running mistake. It should be Ballard Clinic. Uh, and the county general all-stars yeah like the county general would have like a thousand people working there <laughs> and the ballad clinic has maybe four yeah we we we, we get a fun mystery fourth dude here i you know, does not my notes from a previous uh issue oh was so he okay i thought he was new it, i think that he just you know it, it was just a passing name like oh this guy, the night manager. But gotcha. Whatever. Well, so they have a team of at least three people playing. This is, yeah. And the amazing thing is Bellad is sitting out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically Keith, you know, overconfident. Lita is trying to tell him what to do. Wait for your blockers. And he doesn't. And he rushes ahead and screws it up. Somebody tags him. Uh, was it like a weird coloring thing where it looks totally like the person who tagged him is Dr. Ballard. Exactly. Doesn't make any <laughs> sense, but he's just standing on the sidelines with the same colored outfit. I'm in a purple jumpsuit. Yeah, things can be. <laughs> I didn't feel like switching to a new color, so they've all got purple <laughs> jumpsuits. <laughs> I don't care if it's the opposing team. I like it. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's fun that uh, Keith Remsen is in his... You know, his half shirt, basically, you know, no sleeves, bare midriff <laughs> and short shorts, uh, where Lita is actually dressed a little bit more in a full tank top and, and short shorts. So he, he's, he's showing off more abs than, than she is. Um, but yeah, so you know, he, he screws it up. You know, they try the play again, actually listening to Lita in the first time. They work together and then actually score the touchdown there. Uh, there's a Last nice moment. chance, amigos. <laughs> it's a nice moment where in touch football Lita Mercado like hammers some guy and blocks him into the ground <laughs> which Much as like. we've been saying Lita's like the physical one in the in the book um and she, yeah she blocks for for Keith and sends someone flying from the yeah the which I don't think you're supposed to do in touch football but that's her style I guess so yeah so Wins the game. Uh, Dr. Ballard kind of cheers him on. He's like, oh, I only regret that I had to sit this one out. I'm not really sure why. Um, but he's saying that right in front of Teddy, who's in a wheelchair and can't play. <laughs> and then also kind of points out how tactless he was. <laughs> um, but really, we've, we've spent the last couple issues with Teddy. Sorry, Teddy. Let's keep rolling with the... <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, man. We've spent the last couple issues with Teddy basically being... Uh, ignored or disrespected or annoyed in, in all situations. Uh, so th this has been building uh, with uh, people leaving her out of conversations or you know, ignoring uh, her sound advice to uh, avoid the mysterious midnight lady. <laughs> yeah, probably the midnight, midnight mistress was the, uh, the one most sympathetic to her. So right. kind of ironic. Right. So, so she's mad, you know, uh, Keith tries to have a conversation with her, uh, but you know, she's just angry with him. Uh, you're awfully quiet squirt, but then I, I guess every girl gets his, I guess 
I don't guess every girl gets as excited about football as Lita does. Well, no, I guess not, especially not a cripple who stands a better chance at being a football for the rest of her life than she does at playing the game again. <laughs> so, uh-huh. What? You're upset about not being able to walk? <laughs> So he, yeah, he, try, he tries to make nice, but she's not really having any of it. Uh, as, as they're walking back to the clinic, uh, we get Oakley, random yes. night manager employee guy. Um, but they've run into someone who had been trying to get to the clinic. And so we get int- introduced to Joe Gray Fox, who needs their help to save his father, Charlie Gray Fox, uh, who apparently took some old Indian drugs, the, his words, uh, to help him sleep and then has not been able to wake up. So uh, Dr. Bally doesn't want anything to do with it. Uh, he thinks he should go to a hospital, which really kind of makes sense if you poisoned yourself and can't wake up. Um, but um, I mean, it's one thing to not be like overly eager, but Ballad really kind of gives this guy the brush off a lot more than I mean, it's not that different from the the guy in last issue who was who couldn't wake up. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, we've had people who are kind of like in shock and can't wake up, or don't want to wake up because their their dream is you know better than their life and that kind of stuff. But um, so then we get uh, you know his dad doesn't believe in what he calls the white man's death lodge (laughs) as the hospital. I think it's kind of a fun line. but yeah, so again, you know, Teddy tries to chime up. Well, why couldn't we help? But then, and they basically shut her down. Um, you know, he's not really, not really interested in helping the guy out. Uh, so again, a little more disrespect for Teddy on top of the disrespect sandwich that she's been feeling. So it's got yeah. She pops up. You know, Lucian. Sometimes you're so hard nosed about playing by the rules. And it's hard to remember those are heart beating. Rules? What are the rules? <laughs> Come on, you know, the magical dream clinic rules. <laughs> I mean, you know, oh, you got a problem? Okay, go in there and take a nap and we'll investigate <laughs> it. And they kind of, I don't know, wave their arm, wave their hands. Anyway. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like a like a, a this needed to happen for the story rather than like kind of feels right. Yeah, but, it's a, just a little arbitrary. I don't know. Anyway. Right. So um, Keith tries to have a heart-to-heart with Teddy. Um, and it actually goes really well, right? So he's talking about, you know, well, you know, thinks she sort of feels guilty about, you know, lashing out at him uh, for some of the things that, you know, he's done. Um, but basically, you know, they're, it ends sort of on a happy note. But then he says, well, I leave feeling proud of myself, Dr. Keith Remsen, teenage dream therapist. But somehow our little heart to heart comes off a little too easy as if maybe Teddy wants to get rid of me as fast as she can. So she's basically saying like, yeah, yeah, okay, you're so right. And then we get a nice panel of her scowling after he leaves like, oh, I hate that guy. (laughs) Thanks, Keith. (laughs) (laughs) So... That afternoon, you know, Keith stumbles, goes back into Lucian's, uh, Dr. Ballard's office. Um, he wants to talk about Teddy, uh, but he runs into another Greyhawk. So they look identical, and, and it took me a bit to keep them straight. Um, 
but Joe Gray Fox came first. And this is David Gray Fox, notably has a business suit. Yeah, he's the uh, the blue suit versus the green shirt or something. Yeah, like a basic polo shirt. I think he's uh, the older one, too. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, yeah, I told my younger brother he had no business doing this. He basically just seems like, like he wanted to come in there just to yell at everybody. Right? Yeah. More so than he was really seeking help, per se. Or it's like he knew they were he was his brother was going to ask them for help, and so he expected to go in there and stop them, but yeah, he didn't realize they would just refuse to help in the first place. Yeah. So you know, he Dr. Ballard, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna take him to the hospital, right? So uh, that's sort of uh, David's more willing to take him to an actual hospital, check things out. He suggests you know bringing some of the medicine, but. Uh, uh, David, you know, the comatose guy's son says, you know, unfortunately, my father must have eaten or burned his entire supply before he fell asleep. I couldn't find more hide nor hair of them. Which is a little suspicious. Mm. I mean, I, I know the ending, but <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, at this point, and, you know, people have had a couple of decades of, of drug overdoses to deal with. So that's uh, kind of a common thing you know yeah and there probably isn't anything that's truly like totally mysterious at this point too like you know some herbal medicine that only the gray foxes know about somebody's probably heard of it uh yeah and my people call them magic mushrooms uh you wouldn't know anything about it everyone in my college did them i don't know (laughs) so yeah that we go on to the ancient ways of Taran Yawajan? Yeah. T-A-R-E-N-Y-A-W-A-J-O-N. Which I looked up and I doesn't I don't think has any it's just a made up name for the comic. Maybe I should have yeah gotten through more pages in the Google results, but the first results are all just this references to this comic book. So yeah. So apparently he wanted to keep the ancient ways of Taran Yawajan a secret. It was a spirit of our tribe back in the old days. The name means sender of dreams, of course. <laughs> Always something dreamy related. We call him Nightmask. My people worshipped him for many years. Ooh, Nightmask, <laughs> maybe, you say. Maybe Dreamface? I don't know. <laughs> I like Dreamface. He's got the moon on his face. You know, I don't know. Are you thinking of <laughs> Mac tonight from uh, the uh, oh, McDonald's nice. uh, ads? Yeah. From the McDonald's ads, yes. Um, all right, so Keith goes back, can't find Teddy, um, and later on in the day, basically, she's gone, right? So um, they don't know where she went. Uh, maybe our um, fourth wheel... Oh shoot! What was his name again? The night watch Oakley. guy, Oakley. Like, yeah, she was. Bar- she saw her barge out the back door and nearly knock him down. Um, so maybe she left kind of mad with an agenda. Um, Doctor Bailey calls the police. You know, not really sure what to do. Uh, Lita's advice to Keith is to let the cops handle it, but it's his sister, right? He doesn't want to leave her be. He's going to try and do whatever he can to uh, rescue her, and you know. 
always seems to work out when he doesn't listen to Lita and barges ahead, right? Yeah. Just like in the football game. I like that uh, that last bit on that page. I see I'm going to have to wrestle Lita to get out of there. And for once, I'm not in the mood for that to appeal to me. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. The tension, we, I don't know. It, it's a little unclear how old Lita is, whether she's um, actually in an age category to uh, be interested in, in Keith and response, but I don't know. Yeah, I, my my head says around thirty, but oh, okay, that's a has no basis in reality. All right, um, so basically, he's trying to go to sleep to check out the dream world. Um, not sure if it ends up being important, but he ends up taking a sleeping pill in order to do so. Uh, Did you get those from Devlin? From <laughs> <laughs> take some quaaludes in order to three. <laughs> Yeah, that was... suddenly he's got drugs everywhere. What's what's going on there, Keith? I don't know. <laughs> that was issue three, right? Is that what I said? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he infiltrates uh, Teddy's dream, right? So he can get into anyone's dream he's been into before or is in close contact with. Uh, he finds her in her dream, uh, looking like an Olympic runner, uh, you know, wearing a, a track garb and carrying like a, a classic wooden D and D kind of torch <laughs> that always burns forever. <laughs> it was a dream right so she's running towards you know it looks like a pink barbie mansion but it's floating on a rock you know kind of like a a disc of earth in the middle of a void of nothing uh he seems to think he kind of recognizes that Uh, basically she's running up to a bed of what we assume is charlie gray fox um and she's trying to get him to wake up right so this is her dream maybe also infiltrating Charlie's dream, trying to wake him up, you know. Um, And then uh, suddenly what appears is the two brothers, right? So we've got uh, Joe and David, uh, Joe who had come to try and get help earlier and David who came uh, later to kind of scold everybody and uh, seems like the crankier brother. Uh, So we get Joe saying, louder, Teddy, you must speak louder if you're to awaken my father. I guess he knows the dream rules. And then the other brother says, no, go away, girl. You've got no right butting into our family business. So doesn't want his dad to wake up. Hmm. A little suspicious. <laughs> so um, as, as she starts to kind of argue her case, all of a sudden the, the boys disappear and a big pink, giant mouth monster with a little bit of sort of Native American clothing symbolism kind of pops up. I am Taranyawajan, sender of dreams. Who sees me trembles, who defies me dies. <laughs> Ooh, okay. <laughs> so it basically frightens her off the cliff. Uh, she falls. Uh, Nightmask is there, but only just sort of observing. Uh, the monster grabs her torch, uh, lights uh, Charlie, the old man, the, the father who's in the coma, lights his bed and him on fire, burns him down to a skull. Yikes. <laughs> uh, says, yes, dead men keep their secrets. Ooh, another little bit of foreshadowing there. Um, and that's when Teddy starts to wake up. So Teddy's uh, waking out of the dream from having fallen. 
uh, Keith gets sort of ripped out of the dream when she wakes up. And so we got a nice panel of him, like face all stretched out weird. Um, (laughs) And Lucian, who seems, Dr. Ballard, who seems to make up all these rules or somehow just know them all the time. Lucian always says that if a subject ever came to while I was inside a dream, it might kill me. That was theory. The pain that's literally tearing me apart now, that's fact. So Hmm. I guess he was kind of wrong, but. Well, I mean, until he actually dies and they're like, I guess he must have died in the dream. You know, then they'll do. If he was roughed up first, maybe. (laughs) So he wakes up. Uh, wakes up screaming, uh, which happens a lot in this book. There's a lot of coming out of the dream world uh, screaming as far as things go. Um, but so he failed in the dream. So he goes into the re- out in the real world. His only clue being that pink Barbie mansion, uh, which with a little bit of wandering the streets uh, on instinct, kind of on a, sets his brain on autopilot and, and actually finds it. So that's convenient. This thing's huge. It's a, I mean, I can't even estimate how big it is, mansion. So, yeah, like one of those like 10 bedrooms, eight bathrooms kind of deals. Yeah. And uh, I guess we're still in Georgetown. So, I'm not sure how far out of town you'd have to go to get to uh, giant mansion territory. But anyway. Yeah, that I don't know. I mean, but it's funny though, like, like a teenager, he, he sneaks out of his own like house slash the clinic where he's staying, like climbs down the gutter. And then again, like totally teen movie style, like how do I get in, you know, climb up the tree to a window on the second floor kind of thing. So, Yeah, this next part, part is really interesting to me. Yeah. The so. part where he peeks in? <laughs> Well, no, but it, he he breaks in through the window. Like, I mean, I I've actually gone through a window before. It's not something you really do voluntarily. It's uh, it's a thing you might do in a dream, but not in real life. Oh, you mean like how he jumps and crashes through the glass? Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. okay. I, I won't ask you to relay that story. <laughs> yeah. Not. <laughs> Not my best day, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like a Kool-Aid man moment. You came to the party oh, yeah. and everybody's like, Steven's here. <laughs> I mean, you don't like just, you know, bust yeah. through a window and be like, all right, you guys, what's going on? You're like, ow. I need to go to the hospital. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, he basically comes into the scene from the dream to a degree. So the man's in his bed. And they got a fire going for him, so that was, that was nice of them. Uh, with one one son on either side, and Teddy is kind of uh, leaning back in her wheelchair uh, asleep. So just like the dream, he sees them, busts in. What are you crumbs doing to her? Crumbs. That's a great. That's a great insult. Maybe <laughs> call someone a crumb. Yeah. Um. So again, like Joe is the nice brother, and David is the bad brother so david kind of grabs him i know who he is i want to know what he's doing here you know uh teddy's maybe wasn't asleep or maybe was trying to she kind of gets up uh kind of explains that she had come in there secretly to try and uh, help them uh, she doesn't always listen to what lucian says um but yeah so that that's basically the scene we're set here uh, we get a little bit of a flashback um 
uh, story from when the father actually sort of collapsed, right? So mentioned something about an evil spirit. Don't take me away from the house, you know, uh, as in like, don't take me to a hospital. And that sort of set off the, the initial conflict between Joe and David. Joe wanting to help him, but also honor his wishes. And uh, David, you know, those herbs he's been taking again, we need to get him to the hospital. Um, so yeah, they're, they're arguing about trying to kind of save him. Uh, so basically David, the brother in the suit, uh, comes off angry and not particularly wanting to help. So uh, basically we've got is, you know, David uh, isn't really interested in the dream world stuff. And I, I like his line, uh, you know, they're arguing about it, you know, Teddy thinks that maybe if she and Keith work together, like the football game, which she was mad about, uh, maybe they can get things fixed. Uh, Joe wants to try. David says, try what? All she's done so far is doze off on cue. They're conning us, Joe, <laughs> right? Playing off some dumb Indians who got a little money and moved to the big city. Their own boss said father should be in the hospital, and that's where he's going tonight. He's kind of got a point there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because they have no idea what's going on. It's basically you just fall asleep next to somebody. Right? Yeah, that's the funniest thing about Night Mask is it's, yeah, literally you sleep at someone. That's your, <laughs> like, aggressive move. I'll show you, man. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's where the clinic is helpful, right? Because they kind of hide that fact, right? So they have somebody laying there with a bunch of machines that monitor you know, nonsense probably, or vital signs or whatever, you know. More of the Steve Mon Magna Conti. Uh, <laughs> make the buzzing sound. And then Keith <laughs> is there, you know, maybe in the next room uh, doing the yeah. doing the dream thing to pull him out of it. So, I mean, it, is, it almost comes to blows. So Joe does the classic grab a bottle and smash it and threaten him with the broken end of the, of the, of the bottle, um, which finally wins him over, I guess. The threatening of a stabbing uh, gets him to let Night Mask give it a try. <laughs> All right, let's have it your way, Mr. Broken Blood. Put away the stabby stab. <laughs> so, Night Mask, not exactly the perfect time and place to take a nap, but somehow I manage. <laughs> <laughs> Some heroes are born. Some are made. Some are just taking a nap. Yeah, it says, and maybe something in that room is helping me, something stronger than sleeping pills, because almost before I know it, I'm back in the dream again, which is weird because it's the same one Teddy was having before. So is he implying that the something about the dream magic of the native Teranyamajava something? Teranyamajan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing. Uh, you know, is, is boosting his power, or I, I would have just assumed being with his sister, who is his helper, would be doing it. But I mean, I, I, I can only ask that like Teddy went into the Charlie Gray Fox's dream before, although I don't think she's as you know autonomous as, as Keith is. She must have something where she's going in to kind of monitor him, yeah. But, and, and this comes in. Because usually she's just sort of like a voice in the background that can pull him out, uh, take him, rescue him from the dream and talk to him and, and see what he's seeing too. You know, right, right. got too many lovely ladies and, and she gives him a good scolding kind of thing. 
but he, yeah, so he's back in the dream, which looks exactly like before. You got the, the old man, Charlie, in the bed and brothers on each side. He's standing there holding the torch. Um, the, the brothers are arguing. Uh, the bad brother, David, is, I've had enough of this. Give me that torch now. And so he burns him with it, which is okay, because he's not burning the real David. He's just lighting on fire the dream David. So nails him. Probably. I think <laughs> it'd be funny if he woke up and he was actually burning the guy. Like, well, see, that breaks him? the dream rules that you haven't oh. talked to Dr. Ballard enough. So um, on fire, he then poofs into the monster from the cover that we've seen before. Uh, you know, it's hurt him, Joe, or just make him show his true colors. You know, David's gone and Terran Yawajan stands in his place. What can this mean? You know, maybe that he's the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> for this intruder joe gray fox it means death uh say so yeah, he grabs night mask says this monster has taken control of the dream uh which is interesting again it's probably the father charlie's dream um and the two brothers aren't in the dream really Right. They're just yeah. dream versions of the brothers because that's not confusing at all because they're dreaming about the exact same situation they're in, standing in a room together next to the bed. I get the feeling Charlie's seen this uh, whole thing once, more than once. The two brothers arguing and him being like, oh. Good point. Good point. So in, in Night Mask's narration, it would take two Night Masks to take care of this walking nightmare. Good thing for me. That's just what there are. So what? we get Teddy in a night mask outfit flying in and doing a Superman punch on our monster there. Uh, Teddy, but how? <laughs> she said, I'd said we pull it off together, didn't I? Looks like I was even writer than I thought. This looks a little like uh, one of those old Superman uh, covers where like he's powerless and Lois is coming in to rescue. <laughs> oh, totally. Right. So then, you know, they, they shoot laser beams at him out of their hands to destroy him, which you think like, wait, does he do that? But it's a dream. And even comments don't know where these mitt blasts are coming from, but they're great. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great name for it, too. I've never heard anyone call them like, you know, like the hand beam thing, like Havoc from the X-Men kind of has going on. Mitt blasts. <laughs> Not just Mitt Romney's personal blog. It's a laser shot from the comic book hero hand. <laughs> <laughs> or Mitt Romney references to David. Take it down a notch there. <laughs> You're keeping it too real, Mitt Romney. <laughs> Can't keep up with you, my man. Uh, <sighs> so they wake up. <laughs> I think they wake up. Uh, it's over. And it takes a little bit more of arguing. So now... Uh, now I know why Charlie Gray Fox said there was evil here. You, David, you were the demon in that dream. I was what? <laughs> like he was just standing there. They were sleeping. <laughs> right? Even if I was, what does that prove? It was just a dream. Right. So you're absolutely right. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Except the dad is apparently a, a, awake as well. Um, you know, wearing, I guess, very stereotypical Native American kind of suede looking outfit with tassels no my son it was more than a dream you put those herbs into my food 
Much herbs, knowing no doctor would detect what you'd done. Crappy doctors in 1986. <laughs> I feel like that'd show up pretty easy in a blood test, but hey. Yeah, I don't know. The, and then yeah, you knew I, I would die if I went to the hospital. You wanted me to die, David, my own eldest son. Like Again, conventional wisdom would be hospital is your best shot at living. Not this dream clinic, clinic that you'd only just heard of, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, we get uh, like a, a, a villainous monologue kind of, you know, he, he gives it up. What if I did? I wasn't going to stand around and watch you squander our new money. You had to die. Don't you see that? You had to die so that I could finally live. <laughs> he is dramatic. You thought Teddy had a lot on her mind. He, I guess, really has a lot to get off his chest. Yeah. Was it like he bought the fancy house? It was too fancy, right? It's obviously too big for him that he's still living with his adult sons in. Uh, was it they were running the fireplace Not too much? I don't know. <laughs> Wandering the money, squandering the money. So, and so I'll have to keep that in mind so my kids don't try and kill me. <laughs> Dad, you touch that thermostat. I'm going to dose you with drugs. <laughs> so uh, things get violent. So, you know, the jig is up and David is the culprit. Um, he Threatening to kill them all, knocks Teddy out of her chair, pulls a gun on everybody. Uh, save it for the angels, kid. If you believe in them, I was always the responsible older brother. I'll make all your deaths look plausible. Okay. All I ask is that my death someday be plausible. <laughs> uh, I'll try yeah. my best. Try my best. His, so his, his idea... Like maybe father shot you all in a drug-induced frenzy, then wounded me, then killed himself. Uh, well, I guess he'll have a little bit of time to work on his backstory unless someone calls the cops right away. Yeah, I guess. I think he's going to jail, though. <laughs> Regardless, uh, your plan won't work. You can shoot me, but I'm taking you with me over the railing behind you. What is a? He's like gonna dive and take him out over the railing, but. Uh, Teddy ends up launching her wheelchair at him, uh, knocking him over the railing. Uh, he kind of lands on his head and breaks his neck. Um, and I, I love this little narration here. Uh, he loses his footing, topples over the landing, and there isn't a soul above who doesn't recognize the sound of a splintering spine when they hear it. Huh? Why do we all recognize that sound? <laughs> That, that's my question. I'm not at the dream clinic. I don't know. But everything's fine now. Teddy saved all of our lives. Uh, Charlie Gray Fox. I could have never became what I became in the dream, but he was in there with us helping. You know, so maybe he's got you know stereotypical mystical Native American dream powers or something. Um, and uh, yeah, so. Everybody's happy now that his brother and the guy's son is dead. <laughs> sucks, right? I didn't suspect him. Like they didn't seem to like they had a horrible relationship. He just snapped because he was tired of being the responsible one. They killed him. Hugs. <laughs> and next, now about Lita Mercado. Yes. We finally get a Lita issue. We better. Uh. Uh, this better pay off. Yeah, I don't want any like fill-ins when we're waiting for that. 
I believe issue seven is written by Roy Thomas. So I think we're safe. Yeah, the um, yeah, kill count is Teddy one. All right. <laughs> she murked David Great. Yeah, Nightmask hasn't killed anyone, right? Right. He damaged the gnome. Right. He's rescued a bunch of people. Right. He didn't kill yeah. the drug dealer. Got the drug dealer, or he got the guy to clean up him himself. Yeah. He saved the guy for, for that was in the witness protection. Right. There's not yeah. really usually any killing of bad guys because the bad guys generally like some awful dream scenario that they're stuck in, right? Right. The um, So far, Keith has kept his hands clean. Yeah. Not so much his sister. <laughs> She's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Kind of got a grudge against the world, apparently. And, you know, Good thing. In a chair. Keith. I'm going to put you all in a chair. You know? <laughs> Give me a chance. I will destroy you all. Um, yeah. Wow. So it, it is, is a, it feels a little rushed at the end there. Even like the last panel is like, um, so father, what, when you were collapsing my arms, why didn't you just tell me David poisoned you? It's like, uh, you know. Yeah. Reasons. <laughs> but you know, maybe that's the best dad response though. Right. I don't have to explain myself to you. <laughs> He's still a dad, right? He's, he's fed up with his annoying squabbling sons and doesn't want to have to explain himself. Just don't take me to the hospital. I don't have to explain why. I didn't say, uh, you know, to ask me for explanations. I said, you just not take me to a hospital. Do I? <laughs> See, that could have been a great angle for the story, too, though. If, like, it's like the elderly ailing father and then and the sons who are arguing about what to do with him kind of thing yeah because we, we kind of have that though really he was just kind of randomly fell asleep slapped, yeah it could have been like a guy who like they want to put him in a home or something and sort of get him yeah out. yeah yeah that would have made yeah. more sense than just trying to kill him because he's spending cash yeah i mean i mean it's a it's a kind of classic uh setup um i don't know it because of the presence of the native americans it almost feels like it would have worked as a western better you know like um i don't Jonah know hex doesn't mess around in people's dreams <laughs> i guess not <laughs> um but yeah the ending is like now i'm gonna kill you here's my plan your plan's no good now i'm dead why didn't you why didn't you say something dad because that's why you know all on one page so it's a little it's rushed towards the end. Um, yeah. It didn't really hamper my uh, enjoyment of it because, you know, the backstory of the two brothers isn't really that important, I guess. I mean, it is kind of the, the conflict of the story, but really, you know, it's a Teddy story, right? And this is her running away. It's mostly told from, mostly from Nightmask's perspective, but, you know, maybe this is them finally feeling comfortable with each other and working together and being happier and, and such. I guess, I mean, definitely. Yeah. Like you said, uh, Teddy usually is like a disembodied voice in the dream. She's around, but she's not involved in the same way Keith is. So um, giving her a chance to sort of be on an equal footing with him, maybe this sort of sets them off in a better direction for their relationship. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I'm assuming from this read that her being Night Mask 2 isn't going to stick around. Uh, like, they kind of talk about it as if it was some fluke of, you know, Charlie Gray Fox. But yeah. I hope it does, because it's kind of cool. It would be. Yeah, they... right? And then if, if she can use, she can be whatever she wants in the dream, not limited to the chair, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, she could... She would enjoy that a lot, yeah. So hmm. it, this could be one of those, like, what a great idea that they'll never follow up on. Uh, yes. But we'll see. Um, time to, yeah, I, I don't time know. To this, fire this, up the old fan fiction pen. This, uh, oh, yeah. This uh, is a, feels a little more full than last issue. Like, you know, you've got a couple of, uh, like a real world threat and a, a dream world threat and, you know, with the relationships, brother against brother, sister against brother. Yeah, I think it works out pretty well. Yeah, and, and, and I think we, we we mentioned most of them, but there's a lot of fun little comments and narrations. And Lita is is you know makes a good appearance, uh, Ham- hammering some poor hospital dude on the flag on the touch football field. <laughs> see if he'd have like grabbed Lita and then gone out looking for Teddy. And they'd gone to that house and Lita had crashed through the window. Like, then you'd be like, okay, well, yeah, she, she could do that. He's yeah. not so sure. So when I'm looking back on it, um, again, I, I think it's probably just a coloring goof that it doesn't mean much to the story. But like, page six is where she throws the block, you know, you guess the big oof, right? And then there's a, there's uncolored sort of shadowy kind of orange dudes in the background, right? Uh, that we're not supposed to focus on. But the coloring of the guy she's blocking is the exact coloring of Oakley, who we see on page eight. So it looks like Oakley's getting hammered by his own teammate. And then, you know, previously it looked like Dr. Ballard was tagging Nightmask. So again, not to bring it up like, hey, this is all screwed up and and annoying because it really doesn't take anything away from the story. Uh, but I think it's just kind of funny that it looks like she's blocking poor Oakley. Yeah, you, uh, yeah. Like maybe he just got in the way in the play, like he was going to screw it up because he's just kind of bumbling around <laughs> and she just hammers him. It's like, get out of the way. You're messing up our, our play. Yeah, the, um, I don't know. I hate to, to complain about coloring because I come to re- realize it's a very complicated process. So, um and that's a thing that's easy to screw up and, you know, make, make things confusing rather than to, you know, when it's working, you just, it's just invisible to you. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and the coloring is good in this issue. It, it reminds me of like in the old uh, 80s Transformer uh, cartoon series, there was like three jet plane bad guys that all looked identical, but they were different colors. Like one's black and purple, one's blue and one's gray. And uh, they messed up the colors all the time. Like the voices coming from the wrong one or like one would transform and like change color to the other guy. Cause again, they're, they're like coloring these animation cells and like, you know, sometimes you mix them up, but it ends up being more of like a fun thing to see. Like you catch it as a little fun mistake rather than a, you know, a big deal. Some, some poor sap probably sent a letter to uh, the editors about that those mistakes in this issue that never got printed because they never have a letters page. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, 
I was just looking over, I guess Sender, the name of the issue came from Teranyawajan. Sender, Sender of, of Dreams. dreams. Yeah. yeah. Ends up feeling a little generic, but okay. Yeah. I don't know. Overall, yeah, the the Native American thing is a little stereotyped, like you say. I mean, they're like a modern family. At least the young, the brothers are like a modern generation and uh, a little more whatever uh, normalish. That the, their father, who maybe their grandfather is, you know, yeah. blah blah blah, the old ways, blah blah blah, the white man's medicine, blah blah blah. So I don't know. Um, yeah, what was the? <laughs> There's the good line there. Da, 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 da. Uh, I'm a trouble fan. I'm just trying to remember what he called the hospital. Oh yeah, the white man's death lodge. That's right. <laughs> that's that's going to be the name of my new Airbnb. Defend <laughs> uh, and terrify all comers. Come stay at the white man's death lodge. What's something in uh, Twin Peaks? The the White Lodge and the Black Lodge were like these mystic realms or something. I don't mm. know the spirits around Twin Peaks, but nice White Man's Death Lodge is a little more pointy to the bone. A little more on the nose, yeah. Uh, do we have a grade? Uh, I liked it when I was reading it. Um, I don't think it's A level, but. For all the fun stuff in here and that cool splash page in the beginning, you know, like the comic is fun, right? The the story is okay. The comic itself is a lot of fun to read. Uh, you know, B plus, close to an A minus. I, I had fun with this one. Oh, okay. I was, uh, I would say B. I, I enjoyed it, but nothing, it did neither sort of uh, jumped out nor... <clears throat> Uh, nothing sort of dragged it down so no, enjoyable yeah. i think there's a lot of little moments in it that were that kind of like are either sort of humorous you know it's almost like the so bad it's good but it's not really like bad like it's not a corny sort of goofy you know poorly done book it's just like a lot of fun little pieces i thought so yeah yeah sounds good all right, shall we take a break and uh, come back with Cyforce? Let's do it. Welcome back to uh, podcast. Um, we're gonna start in on Cyforce number six, the Christmas issue. Cyforce number six has a, a great cover with Tyrone, uh, one of the Cyforce, in sort of a chair, and someone standing right next to slash behind him with a large uh, like crocodile Dundee style Bowie knife 
held to Tyrone's throat. Tyrone appears to be um, uh, asleep, and uh, the guy is uh, cool. You'll remember from previous episodes, um, one of the thugs that is also lives at Sanctuary is saying, Merry Christmas, Tyrone. Here's your present. Ooh. He's got a couple of uh, ne'er-do-wells standing around behind him, and behind them is Tyrone's uh, astral form coming through the ceiling and being taken aback by this uh, development. So, um, let's see. Don't forget Cool's little tattoo with heart, Rachel. <laughs> I love Rachel. Yeah. He's got a softer a... side. It feels like that when he was appeared before, that was all. He also had a girlfriend who doesn't appear in this issue. I don't know. I'm, in my head, it probably wasn't Rachel. Like, that was a bad decision. Maybe that's why he's lashing out, you know. He's <laughs> got a lot of anger. So they, um, the promo said this was going to be Ghost of a Chance, I think. But we get a title, Where the Heart Is. Um, okay, either way. Um, the splash page has a similar uh, shot of um, cool without the knife. Uh, but standing in front of a Christmas tree and a bunch of other um, kids from Sanctuary are behind him. Cool looks like um, like the adult from the Karate Kid, the opponent. I don't know. Oh, totally, yeah. Martin Cove. Um, With the side of Biff, I think. Okay. <laughs> he's, I mean, he, he looks like 25 to 30 years old as he's usually portrayed. And he towers over all the other kids. And it's like, um, yeah, home for teenage runaways and some like super adult bully for them, I guess. Who, who in a previous issue led a large gang of thugs to try and either totally rough up or ki- possibly kill all of our Cyforce teens. <laughs> but they've been living together in peace and harmony for two or three months. I guess. Um, <laughs> Thanks to a mind wipe from uh, Wayne. From, yeah, that always helps. So the narration box says that it's December 24th and they're in the common area of Sanctuary, San Francisco home for runaway teenagers. That's larger on the outside or on the inside than we can possibly get our heads around. Yeah, we've and been marveling over their near infinite amount of rooms. The uh, so cool is is talking to uh, Tyrone and Michael Crawley, who are both there. Who and uh, he's telling them this tree is for regular kids. You and your creepy friend got no right to help decorate it. So he's threatening them, and Tyrone and Michael are like um, getting ready for a fight with him. And Colby Shaw is popping in, the um, middle-aged woman who runs Sanctuary. Uh, she comes in. Okay, break it up. That's all on the splash page. It's a lot going on. But yeah, it's Christmas Eve, uh, 1986. And so this is very real time too uh, when you pick this up on the stands. Um, so the next page, Colby uh, tells off mostly cool that, um, you know, the, the other kids, Psy Force to us, they don't really call themselves that. Um, should be 
you know, free to, to help decorate the Christmas tree. And um, he comes back saying, look, Colby, you're in charge, but uh, these two guys and their friends have been snubbing everybody since they got here. Suddenly, they're okay to mingle with us lowlifes. So, you know, to him, there are a bunch of rude people intruding in his space. I guess we just don't see the world through Cool's eyes the way we could. So, Thanks but <laughs> Tyrone's like, we've tried to join in plenty of times, but we're always given a hard time. You won't let me in your little reindeer games there, Cool. Okay. Oof. So they, they, Tyrone and Michael go back upstairs. They're just like, okay, let's not deal with it. And these hostile teens that they've been living with for a few months. And uh, Cool and his friends, the gang, like get to, you know, start hugging it out in front of the Christmas tree. And come on, guys, we got rid of the weirdos. <laughs> yeah, basically, like all the kids in the background are scowling at Tyrone and Michael the whole time. Until they leave, and then they're like, "Yay, cool!" Yay. We it. Now we're full of Christmas spirit. Um, yeah, the the kids aren't big fans of Cy Force, apparently. Colby is like, oh, "It must be so hard for them, but they always bring trouble wherever they go." I remember how they <laughs> Emmett Proudhawk dumped them on my doorstep and formed Cyhawk with them, and blah blah. So we get a little memory of and like recap the the premise of the story that they're uh, i wish we would have gotten a little montage of like every time she popped in and yelled at them for using their powers because that is like her power is like showing up <laughs> anytime they do anything like she's like hey i told you not to use those powers <laughs> are you using powers no we're absolutely not using powers so Stassi, start using your powers we gotta... I, I think the stalker's real super ability from last time was that he was able to avoid colby shaw <laughs> like like she should have sensed someone was using powers and like popped right in colby powers thomas colby. i kind of wish colby was like i wish they were more like that nice young man thomas that was here like a month ago <laughs> i wonder whatever happened to him <laughs> he didn't even pick up his uh, deposit so Tyrone and Michael go back upstairs where the other members are of Cyforce are having a little Christmas to themselves. Um, Anastasia and Kathy's room, I guess they have a tiny plant um, that they can decorate. And um, Michael's a little upset. I think he, 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 being the youngest, he wants a little more Christmas cheer. But Wayne, Wayne mostly, uh, you know, you dopes are pathetic. <laughs> mostly angry you're getting all gushy over this holiday junk like we were back in sunday school oh come on wayne we can't be paranoid all the time are you stupid <laughs> some more memories are recapped of like all the times they're pushed around by other kids or alien uh, or the cyhawk and um, they don't really have their own life anymore. They can't choose what to do or where to go. They're all basically forced to stay there. And on Christmas Eve, that's got to feel kind of rough. What a lousy Christmas. Uh, we got to yeah, get out I, of this. Sorry. I, I remember early, like, reading maybe the first issue and being impressed at how angry Wayne was. And I was, like, a little worried that 
quickly. Like he would, they would all kind of come to love each other. He'd soften up. They'd all be best friends. I like you guys. He's still screaming at him every panel. (laughs) I love it. Wayne is so angry. Shaking it down a notch at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They get out of this place. It's no sanctuary for us. It's only a matter of time before Thomas or someone as bad comes for us again. We're not safe here. We get an outside side shot of Sanctuary, which to the outer world is just a modest uh, Victorian row house in San Francisco. But I think we all know the pan-dimensional truth. <laughs> Either that or it's got like 700 underground levels like the Baxter building or something. Yeah, that was it at San Jose that has that house like the Remington house where there's like 700 rooms they just kept adding on to, to some they were worried about a ghost that is but it sounds awesome I'll look it up for you um so they they um they they're like what are we gonna do I don't know this is living what a lousy Christmas and next we focus in on Tyrone who's alone and um his in is in Wayne's rooms and he's looking back at old photos with his family and he's he talks about how he tries to be upbeat and give them like a team spirit thing like his old sports days he was always um, portrayed as an athlete um, and yeah he, he's like teamwork uh, you know keep spirits up uh, you know whatever he has to do and we're, we're seeing him literally crying thinking about his family and missing them and Wish, wishing he was there back home with them. Right. And, and as a reminder, the Cyhawk uses its mental powers to keep them together, but also um, caused, or I guess Proudhawk or, or Cyhawk caused them all to run away in the first place. Yeah. So he didn't necessarily a, want to leave home. Yeah. He, he's saying something about there was a bunch of arguments the last couple of years, but that not that he had wanted to leave home. He's a teenage runaway because Cyhawk forced them all to, well, yeah, Proudhawk and Cyhawk both forced them to leave and then kept them away from home. And um, he's he's thinking back a couple of years when um, he got uh, nice presents for Christmas and everyone was together and they weren't arguing all the time. He and his little brother who's a lot like him, but who wants to be an artist instead of an athlete and uh, two years younger than him uh, looks up to him. And he, he's doing sort of the same thing with his little brother that he does with Cyforce, you know, trying to be upbeat, keep their spirits up, uh, you know, keep their mind off their problems. So we have a few shots of, in fact, that with his parents, things weren't always that great. They would give him a very hard time about not living up to his potential. If he's uh, slacking or not uh, you know, doing great in, in athletics, um, there'd be a lot of arguing and they all sort of start yelling at each other. Um, you'd start lay off me, stop trying to push me so, so much. A darn fool like you needs to be pushed. But yeah, it's it's still like a good memory to him <laughs> overall. Um, he's like, at Christmas last year, things were really bad between my parents and me. You missed another team practice. How do you expect to go to a good college? With my brains, Dad, or not at all? Ouch. 
The folks had no faith in my academic ability. Only way they figured I'd get anywhere was with a basketball. I thought I'd have run away from home, but it wasn't until Proudhawk mentally pushed me to do it that I actually did. Hmm. So it's kind of I mean, an interesting reversal of like a really common like 80s movie trope, like where the kid wanted to pursue something like a sport or BMX biking or something like that and rad. Then my parents are like, you can't do that. You need to focus on your school. I'm like the yeah, kid yeah. wants to focus on school, but they're pushing him into basketball instead. It's a reverse rad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, Oh, I'm trying to I, I'm trying cutting trying to cut through a lot of dialogue, but get to oh, the, yeah. the parts that I remember were pretty good. So, but he's like, you know, you're right. I I you know, I'm the one person who has the power of astral projection. So I should be able to get to the other side of the country pretty quickly. So and he does. He sits down and projects himself and it says three minutes later, he's hovering over Scarsdale, um, which is this nice suburb of New York City. Um and he's floating above it, sort of the, the Christmas spirit himself. And he carefully goes down through the roof, I guess. And he sort of hangs out at, in the ceiling while his parents are decorating their tree. It would have been funny like, if his brother ran into his astral legs sticking out of the floor on the second floor. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's this? Uh He's like, I don't want to say, you know, say hello. It would just bring trouble. I guess he can talk when he's in the astral form. So yeah, you could communicate with him, and whatever. Anyway, so his parents are decorating and they're kind of morose that, you know, Tyrone would need a chair to get on top of the tree. Mm. You even brought him presents. Can't you accept it? It's been six months. He's gone. No, don't say that. Um. I, we only wanted the best for Tyrone, but he never understood that. He just gave up on himself. And then we get a little, the backstory on his parents. At least his father. My father was a janitor. He scrimped and saved and pushed me so I could move up in life. And I've done all right in the post office, but I wanted better for Ty. So very interesting, you know, generational, slowly building your family up. Very relatable uh, stuff. Uh, I pushed him to improve his athletic ability so I got a scholarship, go to a good college. Dad, you never understood what was best for me, thinks Ty to himself. Anyway, um, Dad thinks the only way for a black kid to get a scholarship to a good school is uh, through sports. Um, nice going, Dad. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's quite you know accurate, Dad. Yeah, you, there's a lot of opportunities for... for uh, underrepresented minorities so perhaps you know that's a more recent development i don't know what to tell you hey, um, right i mean like new universe supposed to be a little realistic you know what percentage of american parents are kind of crappy right yeah <laughs> or at least like even like good parents i feel like we're at least 30 percent crappy <laughs> to our kids and making bad choices and and doing the wrong thing and then regretting it later like so yeah right dad screwed up pushed away his kid that's that seems about right yeah he's they're they're also having trouble with the the other son now richard i thought you were watching the fruitcake he's burned the fruitcake that was in the oven 
You get so wrapped up in your silly drawings. Tyrone would never have let this happen. Blasted, I'm tired of being compared to Tyrone all the time. So there's another argument. Tyrone's sort of sitting there, uh, floating there, watching all this. And the, the, you know, basically, Richie just storms out and goes for a walk. It's Christmas Eve. It's snowing. And like some guardian angel, Tyrone follows his brother into the night. He walks over to a gas station where he says some friend of his who's uh, working the gas pumps, I guess. Um, yeah. When I first read this, I thought he was going to be like meeting with a drug dealer or like a bad influence character. Not so yeah. much, though. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's talking about his problems at home and his friends. He's like, uh, you know, uh, maybe I should just pack up uh, like my brother did and split like uh, you did. And you, you did, too. Right, Charlie? He's like, you know it. I left my, I got fed up with my folks uh, cramping my style. I left Iowa and came here. I've been on my own ever since. And it's great. And meanwhile, someone's yelling at him to change the, check, check the oil. Yeah. So he's like, oh, you know, maybe I should, I should do it. And he's like, yeah, do it, man. Just go on. It's great being on your own. So Richie walks off and uh, hoping things will be get better at home. And in case you hadn't sort of gotten the message from the, like, um, what's actually going on in his friend Charlie's life, it starts off the next page with, yeah, I sure took that bull by the horns. I'm freezing. I got grease all over me. And I'm a thousand miles away from my family on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Ouch. Yeah. Way to talk up running away. Yeah, I, th- I think he was doing it in a friendly way, so it's not like, you know, yeah. I will make you follow my crappy path in life. But then he kind of sat back and like, oh, well, actually. If you really think about it, yeah, if you look at it honestly, it's he, he screwed up and he feels bad about it. But Marvel Comics doesn't want to encourage teen runaways either. Indeed. So we flash back to Sanctuary where the Christmas party is going on, and there's actually a a band for that's also people who live at sanctuary playing and this large um, concert hall i guess i don't know they had plenty of room to practice in the sanctuary's rehearsal room and uh built-in recording studio right <laughs> and we go to uh we see michael is hold on okay so uh, Michael is having some uh, punch from the bowl and he's like, mm, this punch tastes like mouthwash. And yeah, if, you, uh, if you're not used to the taste of mouthwash, that's uh, code for alcohol. And we flash right upstairs to Cool uh, and his friends. Hey, Cool, that you spiked that punch with just the right amount of vodka. The whole bottle feels good. <laughs> Can we call them Cool and the gang? Uh, okay, you've won this round, Mr. Bobek. <laughs> um, he's got Johnny, and he's got the pink mohawk, and uh, Shades, the guy in the sunglasses. And they go around, probably looking for something to steal, but then they come across the uh, sleeping body of Tyrone in his room, and they're like, yeah, I've got an idea how we could have some fun. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Then in 
Moving over to Kathy and Stasi's room. Michael is uh, extolling the virtues of the punch. You guys should try this punch. <laughs> He's, what is he, 12 to 15? He's a young guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, the girls and Ty and uh, Wayne are, are, are having sort of fun. Wayne's not that bitter. Um, although he doesn't uh, take the uh, bait when Stasi has some mistletoe for either her or Kathy. I'm not quite sure. Sounds like she's setting up Wayne and Kathy. Or it looks like it to me. Um, back to Scarsdale. Uh, Richie, the little brother, starts recording a goodbye message for his parents. Um, a little tr- That's a lot of trouble. I don't know. You can just write it out. I don't know. But, um, he's he like, got that recorder last Christmas. He's going to use it. <laughs> I wanted to show you that I love you enough to use your recorder. Enough to say goodbye. Yes. First, um, the, the parents would have to think to listen to the recorder. That's the biggest problem. It's like you would le- need to leave a note telling them to listen to the recording anyway. So why <laughs> not just put everything in the note? I don't know. But, yeah. So uh, he's starting this like, I'm leaving you message. And then uh, knock at the door and it's his dad. He comes up uh, with some fruitcake. Oh, thanks, dad. And they they have what starts to be a good heart to heart, and he's like, but his dad starts going on, you know, uh, I know we push you, but we we want you to make something of yourself, just like Tyrone. And um, I can't just believe like he, Tyrone is the trigger words there. Yeah. You're still comparing me to him. You didn't hear a thing I said. You don't even know I exist. Mm. Anyway. So his dad storms off and he throws the fruitcake at the table and he's like, I'm packing and then I'm gone. And uh, Tyrone is about ghost like uh, figure is about to intervene when he's like feels uh, compelled to go back to sanctuary. But I can't go. So he's trying to will himself to stay in Scarsdale. But back in sanctuary, the uh, Kula and his uh, friends are we got everything you sent us for. All right. It's party time. He's got a switchblade. Yeah, it looks like he's going to stab him, but... <laughs> but we switch over to uh, Michael and uh, Wayne. And then Michael is... Uh, I've never had alcohol before. You think that punch was spiked? Um, so the flashback to Tyrone. They are actually dressing him like Santa. So cool a lot more is wholesome cutting. than I thought was going to happen. It's not quite what us, any of us thought. He's cutting like a big white beard for him with that switchblade. And while the other two stuff him with a uh, pillow and put a, like a red robe on him. And they're like, all right, we'll have uh, people sit on his lap and uh, tell them their Christmas wishes. Uh, you're pretty edgy there, my man. I don't know. <laughs> Are we ready for that? But Michael pops in, and I don't think it's funny, cool. I don't think it's funny at all. Drunken Michael, who could never really control his powers very well, is now mad as at, uh, at, the, at the guys, and he starts blowing stuff up around the room. Basically uh, all of Tyrone's stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I will br- <laughs> I'll blow up every, like, cool thing that Tyrone cares about until you leave. 
uh, MVP trophy, possibly a radio or a boom box. I don't know, some other stuff. Um, the, the guys are just like, he's throwing some kind of grenades. And uh, they don't know what's going on, but suddenly Michael like freezes up and he uh, is being cooled down by Wayne, who's taking control of things. They've all come, heard this noise and come in. And uh, Wayne doesn't take control of the um, cool and the others, but the kids from downstairs here have heard all this explosion and I don't know what all and come up and are uh, like, what's going on? It's what happened to the party? Hey, uh, Mike, we're just having some fun. And Michael starts throwing grenades around. I guess. Okay. And uh, they sort of threaten Tyrone again with the knife held to his throat. He's still asleep. And uh, when Wayne uh, starts to object, uh, one of the guys slugs him from behind and knocks him out. I got him for you, cool. So it's Wayne's like you nailed out. him with the inanimate carbon rod. He's usually the one who uh, you know, can cool down a whole crowd of people. So without him, it's like a lot of issue. Um, cool goes on that. Oh, these pe- freaks are dangerous. They think they can do whatever they want. And um, a guy named Bill, I think, is attacking Kathy. Hey, baby, let Uncle Bill help calm you down. She sends him flying, and then more of the the kids are like, "What's going on? You're flying across the room? What are these freaks doing?" Uh, everything they do just makes things worse, basically. <laughs> we flash back to Scarsdale, where um, uh, so this uh, the whole conflict inside uh, Tyrone finally leads to a nice uh, large uh, half page of him appearing to his brother Richie. Richard, don't! Richard, Richie is taken aback by this development. Yeah, Richard was getting ready to hitchhike and leave home, yeah. Oh, hitchhike. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I was skipped over what this car was doing. Yeah. Um, so he he talks to his brother and uh, while the car drives off, I must be going nuts. It's like, I, I'm your brother. I'm not a hallucination. I'm better than ever. Meanwhile, back in San Francisco, Cool uh, is slapping his comatose body around. This must be what they mean when they say the weakest member of Psy Force. He's puts up clearly the strongest, right? You know, like mm-hmm. he's fighting off Psy Hawk's mental compulsions while trying to convince his brother that he really is Tyrone. <laughs> Yeah, wow. his body is back home getting slapped around. So he's like, Tyrone, are you a ghost or something? Are you dead? No, nothing like that. Maybe. I don't know. Give him <laughs> a minute. He'll be dead. <laughs> we'll see what happens with his power then. I don't, who knows? Um, so yeah, back it's really switching, you know, panel by panel. Um Stasi is trying to heal Wayne so he can use his powers to cool things down. But uh, Richie and Tyrone are talking and he's, um, Richie's kind of getting the, the message. This is your astral self? Like the yogis claim they can project? Those I wouldn't really lying yogis. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if I would expect that from a teenager, but okay. Maybe mm -hmm. in the 80s, everyone is talking about yogis projecting their astral. He's into art. I don't know. Um, something like that. So as we get into later. Oh, you mean you're using the astral projection? It's a ninth level cleric spell that... Uh, <laughs> um, something like that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. What it matters is you. I don't want you running away from home. I didn't run because I, I wanted to. So I want you to think about your parents and wait, try to get along with them. And, uh, and you got to believe me, Rich. You won't regret it. Have faith in yourself and in the folks. Go back. I, I will, Ty. I promise. Okay. I got to go. Um, everything's like crazy back, back in uh, Sanctuary. Um, Everyone's seen most of them use their powers in one way or another. And uh, Cool still has his knife at Tyrone's throat. And he's like, this blade says I'm in charge. And I say, stop it all now. And I was going to just give him a shave. But now, I don't know. Maybe I should. I got a mind to really slice him. What? Tyrone is uh, coming, th coming through the ceiling at this moment. And he's like, slice him. He means me. <laughs> Just in so, the nick of time. Just in the nick of time. This is basically the cover for the comic. Um, he, he slips right into himself uh, without anyone seeing, I guess. And uh, so he reaches up now back in his own body. Come here, cool. And now get over there. And he throws him, you know, uh, basically just tosses him across the room. And, uh, you know, Cool comes back, um, threatening him again, and now he he punches him and goes flying across out into the hallway. It's like a movie punch, right? Like he punches him four feet into the wall, kind of thing. Yeah, it's like if Kathy was helping him with the, her telekinesis or something, it would make more sense. But anyway. So, of course, there's the superpower of Colby Shaw is to be where she's not wanted. She shows up and immediately is like, I want you all back in your rooms now. Also, she looks a lot like uh, a Dick Tracy villain called Small Face at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, a little off. Uh, yep, I'm I like... got that mental picture in my head. <laughs> um, so, Wayne uh, erases his. Back awake again, erases everyone's memory, but not Colby's. And he's like, we didn't start the trouble, Colby. And she's like, I know. And it doesn't make it any easier, but um, where your very presence ends up endangering the other kids around here. And you endanger the very existence of this institution. So I'm going to have to ask you all to leave by the day after tomorrow. So, ouch. So much for my, uh, like, Colby will never do anything theory of just an issue or two ago. Yeah, she sent him packing. So the kids are uh, like, what? Um, and it just cuts to like an hour later, Colby's thinking to herself, oh, I was a little hard on him. I should go change my mind again. But they're all already gone. Rooms maybe, are empty. Maybe I shouldn't have kicked out all of these hated orphans with nowhere to go on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I've got it. Our institution serves, you know, 
people like cool, not weirdos like Cyforce. <laughs> so this is like post-apocalyptic, like yeah, you just wait for the humongous to take over the gangs there. Like it's Mad Max now. I don't know. <laughs> Couldn't they have just um, given them their own wing in this epically large <laughs> room infinite they- building? How they ever come into contact with each other if they don't want to, it boggles the mind. So the last page we got, uh, Wayne is riding in uh, the cab of a truck, uh, controlling the driver to drive them somewhere north. And the kids are in the back, freezing and unhappy. But Tyrone, is uh, they told them he's going to project back home. It's something about unfinished business. So he goes back and checks on his family, where his brother is, is confronting his parents saying, you know, I was going to run away from home, but um, I changed my mind and I need your help. You just need you to accept me that I'm your son, that I'm not Tyrone, but uh, you know, I, I love you both. And they have a little like nice moment together. And uh, he says, I guess we'll, we'll try to get you a nice present that not turn you into Tyrone again. And as he sort of flies away, this is like 20 panels in this one page. Yes. (laughs) He's flying away. Tyrone's astral projection is like, well, maybe things will turn out okay for them even after the holidays. Maybe I'll be back with them someday to stay. The end. Um, That's, wow. Cyforce number six, and I am as exhausted as flopping <laughs> across the country. Oh. Yeah, that, was a, that was a busy book. I mean, I don't know what it was. Both of the books this week seemed like exhausting in terms of how much was going on and re- how much to read. Um, even if the, like, the stories weren't that complicated, there was just lots and lots of dialogue and narration and I don't yeah know. well i mean they're all they're both full stories they both have new characters right you got to introduce the characters you know shooter marvel style you got to give a little background of like what happened before or like you know what these what our current people are like right um this one did a little bit of a better job with the new characters and really kind of you know we, we learned a lot about tyrone's family <laughs> while also you know, having all the showdowns with the other orphans uh, in the sanctuary and stuff. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. Yeah, it's uh, there's like the Tyrone story. There's the showdown with cool story. Um, we got some inner monologuing from um, uh, why is her name always draw Colby Shaw? Colby right? Shaw. But, yeah, like I said, even that that this minor character appears on like 1.5 pages gets enough like dialogue and backstory that you're like, you know, you get a real like sense of this this character and you know where he's at in life, and uh, and that's interesting. You don't get see that too much anymore. No. Yeah, we almost could have got like you know, well the driver that Wayne hypnotized, you know, like. He was on his last, story, his last shipment before retirement. And if he made it on time, was going to get a gold watch or something. <laughs> he doesn't get to spend his Christmas at home either. Yeah. yeah. Um, the book uh, did one thing I really liked is there's a, 
a scene, maybe a scene or two where they used arrows to show you which which panels you're supposed to read next. Oh, if I was yeah. like, like that. that's a nice touch when you get a little uh, uh, complicated. There was a neat little part where uh, it had kind of like arrows and boxes of like the astral oh, yeah. Tyrone's head, kind of yeah, showing uh, yeah, his his reaction uh, to what's going on on panel, kind of stuff, which is kind of a, a nice little touch. Unfortunately, we don't have page numbers, but yeah, it's it's a, a great touch just above where uh, uh, Tyrone shows himself to Richard. So yeah, and if you think about it, like so, Cool doesn't know because he was mind wiped. But I mean, these kids have been living with this goon who more or less tried to kill them all already once, right? So like they have to kind of cohabitate with him, like just being kind of a know it all jerk. But in that background, right, he's already, for no really particularly good reason, uh, tried to off them with this huge gang of thugs that he seemed to be the leader of. Yeah. Um, cool is really, it's a little inconsistent, this issue, because he, at first he seems threatening, and then he's just dressing them as Santa. So you're like, okay, so it's just a little Christmas joke, and then he starts threatening him with the knife again, and you're like, "That's almost like going back and forth on me." Yeah, that's almost like kind of like a classic jerky dude, though. You know, it's like you you push the limits, push the limits, do bad stuff, and someone calls you out on it, and you're like, "Oh, I was just kidding around, man. Just kidding around." (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, I mean, uh, yeah. To, to be honest, I mean, I'm a little surprised they left Sanctuary, certainly, this quickly. Um, I mean, you'd be... You'd think, you know, like the X-Men stay in their mansion for like 200 issues before that blows up or something. But, um, <laughs> I think the mansion blew up a couple times, though, right? Like, okay, it does. It blows up on occasion, but um, they still stayed there or, or several other locations for a, a good long time. Um so the the but the other people there are so hostile to them it's quite surprising yeah yeah it's basically i mean we've we've got our introduction issue for most of our characters now like maybe there wasn't really a michael crawley issue yet per se Um, so yeah tyrone and kathy anastasia maybe was last issue i think hers was last issue yeah so she oh, had a yeah. lot of the first issue too. And when Wayne yeah. tried to escape in issue three, maybe that was sort of the Wayne issue. Sort of. I don't know. We could definitely see more of Michael and Wayne. So perhaps, you know, I was a little surprised that they would do, yeah, like a a full, you know, get into each character in depth in this way. Um, yeah. But yeah. I'm, I'm excited for them leaving the sanctuary. It's, I don't know what to expect, whether that'll be like uh, out of the frying pan into the fire or what. I guess they have to have some new conflicts, so we'll see. But um, we've still got like Thomas, a.k.a. Stalker, um, any number of foreign and domestic governments uh, watching them. So, yeah, whatever happened to Skipper, too, man? Like, wasn't he like maybe even as early as issue two? He's like, 
these kids really need someone to help them out. Maybe I could be that person. Nope. <laughs> I'm going back to Washington. Look, Tyrone, uh, you, you can project. Call me if you need anything. Anyway. Maybe yeah, like the, every the, issue we uh, could have had a couple panels of like Skipper like buried in paperwork or something. Like, <laughs> I'm coming, guys. I just got to get through all this red tape. <laughs> he shows um, up a couple issues later. Oh, they left the sanctuary? What? <laughs> That I can I can kind of quite easily imagine. I'm kind of surprised that like with all the Cyhawk control, that if Cyhawk, you know, is just happy that they're all together, or I, it seems sometimes that it wanted them in sanctuary, and that almost if Colby had told them to go, Cyhawk would tell her to not do that or something. I don't. Know. I think it just wants them all together. Is all. Right, because when they all went to, you know, they w- when Saha kind of forced them all to go get Kathy, like once they're together, I think that pressure goes away. Right, so so that that's the impression I've got at least. You know, whether it's the intent or not, is that they don't necessarily have to be in sanctuary, but he's trying to keep them all safe. Well. Cyhawk is and trying to keep them all together and like and that's the bottom line like they don't have to be happy they don't have to like each other they got to be together the entwined doesn't matter if they're or whatever in a in the same house with a murderous uh, thug is twice as old as them somehow right yeah. as long as you're together yeah um I don't know I think yeah, it's a little fun. sorry. Oh, sure. I think the, the one last moment I liked in this issue, which again, just, just being my age and a dad and the, all the family stuff is like when they burnt the fruitcake and then like cut the burnt part off and ate the rest. And like that, that resonated with me. <laughs> that seems like something a family would do. Nice. Yeah. I'm sorry if I didn't say the, the creators of this issue. It was Danny Fingeroth, writer. Mike Bosberg, penciler, and Al Mil- Milgram is the inker. So some of the uh, penciling is uh, by a different uh, Mark Texiera did the first few issues, I think, pretty consistently. Yeah, and he did our cover on this one too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You can, those expressions on the two guys, on, on all the characters are very uh, characteristic of that artist. But, um, it was, I, I tease about a couple of the, the shots, but it's basically well done. Um, I liked the, the family, Tyrone's family issues. I mean, they're, um, again, sort of good character backstory, but they're also uh, an interesting um, sort of, you know, from a racial diversity angle, you get um, this glimpse into this family. They're all very, you know, down to earth, so yeah, the, the family comes off as universal, relatable, um, still sort of particular, you know, um, but people, uh, it's not like a carbon copy of Good Times or some other show that was on at the time. It's right. just, you know, um, uh, they're not a stereotype um, and you don't feel like you're being lectured by them. You know, it's not like here's a tool to, to lecture you for, what you as the reader should be doing. They're just, you know, a normal family have, have you know, issues with their kids. The kids have issues with them. Um, yeah. Different talents. All, all sort of works together. Well, I like seeing it's that. hard. It's hard to get along with your team kids, man. 
<laughs> I'm sure. Uh, and I mean, the whole thing with them uh, all being basically runaways, I mean, that's that's pretty rough stuff, you know. Yeah, where really only Wayne would be the only real runaway. Like, he's probably the only one that. Yeah, who is like on his way, whether he, the yeah. hawk had told him to or not. I need you to leave home. I'm gone already, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> My uh, scumbag father doesn't want me here anyway, and I don't want to be near him. You know what I got for Christmas last year? Pack of smokes. Smoke them up, Johnny, he told me. Anyway. <laughs> My old man. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, something else. It was a strange Christmas story, though. Usually, if you're going to call something out as a Christmas story, you do a riff on one of the classic. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's like various hints of like Christmas Carol ghosts kind of visiting yeah, the family kind I of mean, thing, but wasn't really like connected to. If if Tyrone had gone to his brother and been like, "I am the ghost of Christmas future. Don't run away from home. It sucks." <laughs> I I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess the the. Um, for, but, the book uh, worked pretty well for me on just a straight out entertainment level. So overall, pretty happy with it. You sound like you're going to uh, quantify that with a letter. Um, I'll, I'll bump it up to B plus. I, I, I think it was, you know, had, had so much going on that I feel like an abundance of riches there. <laughs> like a bounty of presents almost almost yes <laughs> but you just get a basketball so sorry man <laughs> i don't even have a hoop what am i supposed to do with this it's like you yeah i don't know getting the art supplies from from your parents is always like either something you have outgrown already or something you you don't have any idea of how to use um one of those things that's a little like hard to to hit the nail on the head with i know yeah definitely have some art supplies in our house that nobody uses I'll, I'll go straight b straight yeah we gotta stay a little different uh, okay. it was good I, I enjoyed it not mm -hmm. not quite i think it's a little weaker than night mask which just had a lot more I mean, it's kind of hard to beat like fun adventures in crazy dream worlds, but yeah, but it was uh, good. I, I definitely enjoyed Psy Force Six, and I'm excited to see what happens now that they're not in the limitless halls of the sanctuary. Yeah, that uh, I'm hoping that'll be open things up. Um, I don't know. It would be. I don't know if a step backwards if they came back to sanctuary, um, if they like cut ties like this, you know. Um, I think it'd be okay if they revisited it, right? So yeah, see how they have grown or whatever kind of thing. But definitely, yeah, it would be a little strange if they go out on adventures and then land back in the orphanage. Yeah, I don't know. They're growing up quickly on their own out on the streets, right? <laughs> anyway let's see you want to talk about the back cover yeah we'd actually the back cover 
inside the back cover is also TSR D&D basic uh, rules, the BECMI um, basic set. And then the um, uh, back cover is a, an ad for um, TSR's Marvel Superheroes game, the advanced set. So I guess the, the basic game has been out for a couple of years at this point. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, if you're not familiar with it, um, TSR had um, put in the, the uh, had put together a Marvel superhero role-playing game that quickly became a pretty popular game, I think, uh, at least that genre of role-playing role game. Um, they've always had their, its own um, column in Dragon Magazine, I think, and you had all these like characters written up for it and stuff. Um, so we're seeing um, an advanced edition that's just come out. And uh, yeah, are, you, are you familiar enough with the general idea to create your own character that has powers of some kind rather than like to be Spider-Man kind of thing? I think it does have, uh, yeah, character generation rules in it. Um, but yeah, a lot of the draw of the, the Marvel license was that, yeah, you could interact with the, you know, Spider-Man or whatever. So you could have your own characters in the Marvel universe. Right. Um, so I think that was you know, obviously a, a big thing. And I honestly, today, I would say for all of us who like uh, 80s style um, comic book storytelling, if that's maybe the easiest way to relive it is to, if you have some, like-minded friends to uh, sort of set up your own campaign. And a lot of the rule books and things were all written in the, in the 80s. So this edition, uh, while it was in print, uh, kind of covers that, those halcyon days. Um, so right around then, um, you can get all kinds of details about uh, the Heroes' powers. Um, try making up your own. You know, try your own hand at storytelling. It. Um, if you want look at, to look at some numbers and kind of quantify whether Hulk or Thor is stronger, kind of stuff. Do I imagine? Yeah, I think it's got a uh, everything above a certain point is just like class one hundred or something. Oh, uh, okay. It takes the the. Um, official handbook of the Marvel universe uh, stats and takes it a step further. Nice. So uh, you can still find some of these on available uh, online for free at classicmarvelforever.com. I was going to say you can, um, because a lot of them went out of uh, print and the license has moved on to other companies. They are unprintable now. Oh, so right. Get real things. So yeah. sometimes, yeah, they'll be a little loose with um, the intellectual property. So at least one website has a lot of this stuff available at P as PDF. Um, mm -hmm. You may want to check out. Yeah, I think there is definitely a, a current modern version of these too. I remember seeing on the shelves not too long ago. Something like that. So, can I question you about the terminology if you know? So, like, this is advertising the advanced Marvel superheroes. Would that be 
basically like version two? Um, I'm not sure how uh, how the rules different differ, like whether they include the basic set or you just get um, both of them. But I, I've only sort of seen this as um, in the PDF versions, and I haven't gone out through all of them uh, at the level of actually playing them myself. So okay, yeah, because I always remember I played Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, but then. I don't think that it's much that different. much big a different, yeah, uh, uh, step in terms of like it's actually different rules. Um, but I think uh, there's also DC versions of this um, that I was. You can get a lot of information about, you know, Atlas of the DC Universe. I, I was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, so all these things had. Um, who's who for DC and official handbooks for Marvel and a lot of uh, inside baseball that you were going through. Um, I mean, looked up the, according to the basic rules, you had uh, a certain series of um, origins you could give your character if you were creating them yourself. Mm -hmm. And the options were mutants, altered humans, high-tech wonder, robots, and aliens. Um, there were no, if nobody wanted to play a normal human, I guess, in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Um, the new universe, our paranormals would be altered humans? Yeah. They were once normal humans, and then exposure to something, unknown forces, <laughs> changed them and gave them their powers. And it's a strange thing about the new universe is everyone practically has the same origin or like everyone with powers has that same source of power um, except for justice. I think he fits in as an alien, right? Cause he's from another dimension. And there's um, always the Magna Conti riddle of did Steve's machine actually do something? <laughs> it's yeah. So you, you, I mean, altered humans takes a lot of, uh, you know, the, the, Captain America and all these other um, people that started off as human. There's no mutants, obviously. So that loses your X-Men type um, origin. And there's at least one high-tech wonder that's Spitfire and the troubleshooters. Mm -hmm. So that's where you just built your normal human, but you have some sort of advanced technology. Right. We, we also don't have robots. Probably. <laughs> there was that one that the kickers fought but it was really more like a battle machine it wasn't actually yeah, a robot there was people in inside it Yeah, I don't know I think it would be reasonable to have like Spitfire or, or someone else fighting some sort of like rogue robot I, you know it, it, it was a popular science fiction thing at the time so. yeah I think even there was a part in Spitfire where Spitfire landed and like some guards thought it was a talking robot until she popped out of it <laughs> yeah I, I think that would have would be most people's response to Spitfire so you know okay it, suit isn't okay but a robot isn't come on I believe there is a homemade Marvel New Universe uh, role-playing game like, mm. that somebody created. I know someone had put like stats uh, for the character for a lot of the characters up on a website. Um, 
I don't have that website on, on the tip of my tongue at the moment. But yeah, if you want to play characters, at least someone tried generating them so that they would work in the Marvel uh, system. But, I mean, it'd be uh, easy enough to really to just take that, probably take that Marvel TSR RPG setup and then just, hey, instead of in the Marvel universe with Spider-Man, I'm going to do mine in the new universe, right? So, yeah, which is just I almost the real world. wonder if there's like a better... Um, system because the the marvel universe is so over the top and is built to be over the top you know okay because all the like there was another one that was sort of more human scaled but i can't really think of a good uh, example of that usually if people are like a batman superhero actually yeah yeah maybe that would be because you'd have some powers but yeah also like normal humans that are just as they say, Olympic level athlete or something like that. <laughs> Olympic like, level geniuses. There's no way you can leap from one building to the other. He's Olympic level athlete. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> I, I'm not going to go uh, crazy on that. But um, anyway, it's it's uh, some interesting suggestions for people if they want to uh, dig into that. Um, I'd certainly like to hear how... how how it works out for them i'm sure someone somewhere has done a new universe themed role-playing setup like it's had to have, had to have happened <laughs> we Maybe. do have a, a good number of fans out there as it turns out so that would be a great reason to like email us that story right yeah. so we can talk about it on air and like... we will tell your character story for you if we <laughs> So should we wrap up um, is this issue, this week's episode? Next time we'll be covering, um, I guess I will be covering Kickers Inc. number six. Yeah. What can a guy like Jack Magnacondi do when he's got impenetrable skin and he has to take a complete physical? Whatever he does, it better be good. Uh, otherwise, his and Kickers Inc.'s secret is ruined. By a new uh, writer and artist. Mm. That's an odd setup. Magna Conti needs to pass a drug test. Let's write a comic about it. <laughs> I remember, like a, a like Superman joins the army from World War II, and like they couldn't penetrate him with right. They're trying to buzz his hair, and it breaks the clippers or something. Okay, yeah. that writes itself. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, and and so Mark Hazard Merck six. Uh, the rescue of his best friend's daughter from a street gang turns Mark Hazard into a target, not only of the street gang, but of his best friend too. Friends is written by Doug Murray, penciled by Mark Beecham, and inked by Gray Morrow. Um, and I think you've pointed out that's probably the story from four or five that we got before, right? Where, yeah. Where he was really Maul's sister, not daughter. So unless, unless, a very similar situation is coming up. We're probably getting a different story from Doug Murray this time. But anyway. Yeah, I can only hope. Um, <laughs> it would be funny if you just turned in the same script every month to an editor. Back then. No, it's his other sister that he needs to rescue. <laughs> Treetop's daughter. I don't know why you think that's similar. to. I'm also <laughs> going to get the same artist to draw it. Yeah, but you know. Anyway. <laughs> um, Panel by panel copy. 
All right. So yeah, check out kickersinc.com. Check out our contest, win some free comics, and uh, we'll see you back at the spinner rack next time. All right. See you then.